This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine. On this program, we invite a poet to choose a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss. Then, they read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. My guest today is Danica Kelly, the author of two poetry collections and the recipient of an Annisfield Wolf Book Award, a Cave Conan Poetry Prize, a Hearst and Wright Legacy Award, and a Kate Tufts Discovery Award. A founding member of the Collective Poets at the End of the World, she teaches at the University of Iowa. Danica, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So the first poem you brought with you is 100 White-Sided Dolphins on a Summer Day by Mary Oliver. What was about this poem that caught your eye while you were looking through the archive? Well, uh, I love Mary Oliver, so that that was the first thing. Uh, but the second thing is, I have recently seen maybe five or six hundred dusky dolphins. So this poem really spoke to um, a very similar experience that I had, and I felt really excited about that. Um, I felt held across time by Mary Oliver's delight. Amazing. Well, why don't we hear the poem? This is Danica Kelly reading 100 White-Sided Dolphins on a Summer Day by Mary Oliver. 100 white-sided dolphins on a summer day. One, fat, black, slick, galloping in the pitch of the waves, in the pearly fields of the sea. They leap toward us. They rise, sparkling, and vanish, and rise, sparkling. They breathe little clouds of mist. They lift perpetual smiles. They slap their tails on the waves, grandmothers and grandfathers, enjoying the old jokes, They circle around us. They swim with us. Two. A hundred white-sided dolphins on a summer day, each one as God himself could not appear more acceptable a hundred times, in a body blue and black threading through the sea foam and lifting himself up from the opened tents of the wave on his fishtail to look with the moon of his eye into my heart. Three. And find there pure, sudden, steep, sharp, painful gratitude that falls, I don't know, either unbearable tons or the pale, bearable hand of salvation on my neck, lifting me from the boat's plain plank seat into the world's four, unspeakable kindness. It is my 63rd summer on earth, and for a moment I have almost vanished into the body of the dolphin, into the moon eye of God, into the white fan that lies at the bottom of the sea with everything that ever was or ever will be, supple, wild, rising on flank or fishtail, singing or whistling or breathing damply through blowhole at top of head. Then in our little boat, the dolphins suddenly gone. We sailed on through the brisk, 
cheerful day. That was 100 White-Sided Dolphins on a Summer Day by Mary Oliver, which was published in the July 24th, 2000 issue of The New Yorker. So well read, and I loved um, hearing the numbers, which I, I would go back and forth whether we would hear them because they join the sort of breathlessness of that whole beginning, which is all, as far as I can see, mostly one long sentence to unspeakable kindness. And I love that, this kind of threading through and the way you read it captures that joy, but also that unspeakable kindness, that kind of um, thought process that the speaker, the viewer, Mary Oliver, Mm -hmm. perhaps, uh, is seeing. You know, there's a kind of way in which it takes it out from just being like, this is this thing that happened into a poem, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I wonder how you think the sections work. The sections feel really interesting to me and reading it aloud. There's this feeling that I have when I read it where I'm like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. And so the, the the big surprise for me is after that third section, Into the Worlds. And it's like, Into the Worlds what? You know, and it's unspeakable kindness. And I mean, I, I am grateful to Mary Oliver that she sees that in the world, that she, right. can, you know, that she highlights that because, sure, you know, it's. The, the, I, it doesn't always feel full. The world does not always feel full of unspeakable kindness. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and I, but I think that happens multiple times throughout the poem, mm-hmm. this moment of delight um, that upsets our expectations. I think after mm-hmm. the first stanza, uh, yes. like in the pearly, I was like the pearly what? And then fields of the sea? Is that, right. how we de- is that how we describe the sea <laughs> as a field? That's how she does, right? Yeah, and it's I I, I have a little exclamation mark next to the to that to that turn um, because it is right. it's like a line break at Pearly, and then there's a stanza break. So it's like we're really sort of holding that pause. She's mm-hmm. asking us to like take more than one beat before revealing the rest of that image, um, and it's right. And it's, it's another moment of delight in a, in a poem full of delights. Well, what I, I think interests me, too, is the way that it's paced. I think that's what we're saying is that it has a kind of, you know, it feels like it might be a glimpse mm-hmm. that becomes in the poem an extended experience. And maybe it is an extended experience, but it's even a bigger experience. I mean, it's God, as God himself mm-hmm. could not appear more acceptable a hundred times. Mm -hmm. But I like what happens uh, before that in the uh, end of the first section. Um, And there's these quatrains which are centered. We can talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But they slap their tails on the waves, grandmothers and grandfathers, enjoying the old jokes. They circle around us. They swim with us. I love that suddenly this metaphor of them as kin, as... Mm -hmm. And also as sort of ancestors mm-hmm. and the old jokes, you know, I, I don't know totally what that means, but I know exactly what it means. <laughs> and there's something about that, that confidence in that, that I, I really admire. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about this poem uh, is the way that it feels to me Mary Oliver doesn't make uh, the dolphins metaphor Mm. For something human, but rather sees in the do- like sees in the dolphins or recognizes in the dolphins, as you say, a kind of kinship, so right. that the the way that she makes the images doesn't erase them. I like that she doesn't erase them in favor of or um, to serve 
the human, I think she's really articulating or sitting with her. It feels like even dilating this moment, right? Like we're mm-hmm. it's because it's it seems like it's kind of a fast, perhaps a fast thing that happens. Right. She's spending time with them. It's a with, like not using <laughs> them, but is is trying to capture that feeling of that alongsideness that uh, is something that I try to do in my work, and I think it's really hard. Sure. Yeah. I remember uh, one of my old teachers calling it the numinous moment, you know, mm-hmm. this moment of mm-hmm. of the Newman, the, the thing out there that changes us, you know, this catharsis that happens mm-hmm. emblematically. But it isn't, you're right, a, a kind of pathetic fallacy like the, the dolphins are feeling what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's more they're startling. And as uh, she puts it in, in the third section, and mm-hmm. find their pure, sudden, steep, sharp, painful Mm-hmm. gratitude mm-hmm. that falls mm-hmm. I don't know either unbearable tons I mean it just keeps going <laughs> as you said it, like I could keep reading mm-hmm. and read the whole poem again because mm-hmm. it's spinning out in a way and there's a kind of fluidity which is appropriate I think but also a kind of um, steadiness or maybe it's a sudden steep sharp painful gratitude mm-hmm. uh, that progresses in the poem and I wonder how you thought of that you know, because that's a pretty bold thing to say. These dolphins are this form or appearance mm-hmm. of God Himself. Mm-hmm. The way that I experience this, and the way that this resonates, this moment in in the second and third sections, they resonate with me in the way that the experience with the dolphins unlocks something inside the speaker, so that by observing them, by just really being present with the way that they rise, sparkling and vanish, right? The speaker now has access to something like, I would say, the sublime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the the pure, sudden, steep, sharp, painful gratitude, I think is a sublime feeling. And we don't always talk about the sublime in the context of gratitude, but I know this feeling. I've had this feeling. <laughs> um And I would say in very similar situations, just like being overwhelmed with that feeling of we are sharing this space together. We were made at the same time. We exist at the same time. Me and the animals that I've been alongside or um, and I think for the speaker in this poem, like that's a lot of dolphins. Like 100 dolphins is not a small number of dolphins. (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) Well, and I love that we just like the title announces such a thing, mm-hmm. which in and of itself is kind of a poem, right? Mm-hmm. It's a story, at least. 100 white-sided <laughs> dolphins on a summer day. I mean, that is a, a kind of trip, you know, and mm-hmm. every element of it. If it was just dolphins on a summer day, it would mm-hmm. be different. It, having the 100s important. White-sided seems important. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a kind of glimpse, uh, and a, it's it's a real different kind of taxonomy. Mm-hmm than we usually see, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've written bestiaries and about the natural world. How do you approach it or how does it come for you? Is it something like this? I think it is something like this. I I don't have the same relationship with God that um, Mary Oliver had or cultivated, but I do have that, I think, a a similar sense of wonder, uh, a similar sense of like, how did this happen that we're here in the same place? And what does that unlock in me? How does that help me be here more fully? 
uh, one of the things that I love about this title is I, I have the question of like, is this a specific dolphin? I didn't look it up. Um, is it is the white sided <laughs> dolphin like a specific dolphin? Uh-huh. I don't know. Or is it description? Right. Like yeah. she's just describing like this is what these dolphins look like. Uh, and there's this neat thing. I'm going to digress just a little bit. But there's this neat thing that I learned about dolphins when I saw so many of them, which is that um, a lot of dolphin species are fusion fission, which is to say they come together. But that coming together is not necessarily biological. Right. It's not like, oh, we're like a pod is all biologically related. Like all the members of the pod would not necessarily be biologically related. Um, and then they, they're just hanging out. They're just hanging yeah, out. Yeah, like they just get together and they swim together and they, you know, do whatever dolphin business, you know, is <laughs> is in the works. Uh, the, the old jokes, the old jokes they tell. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like some of the dolphins leave and go join another pod or go somewhere else. And then there are new dolphins that come in. And I feel that energy, that sort of coming together and that breaking apart in this poem. No, and I think the form does that. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, she often has, you know, centered lines mm-hmm. in this period of her writing. And mm-hmm. I think about there's an owl poem that I love that has that. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things like when I was teaching, I would I would not let people do because <laughs> I think it's hard to know what the line is. You know, like right. you, you just like kind of zoom down the middle. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have that issue, of course. She's perfected the line. She's like, I'm going to see what it does centered. But it, mm-hmm. I wonder what you how you experience that part of the poem. So there's a way that this poem looks like a concrete poem. Like it feels mm-hmm. very uh, yeah. like in the shape of a tail, like sections mm. uh, three and four seem sort of that uh, they're sort of narrow at the top and flare towards the bottom. Yeah. Uh, there's the roundness. I know I'm going backwards. Um, there's the roundness <laughs> of uh, the second section. Uh, sure. Which maybe evokes body or maybe the nose, like maybe that's a like we're looking at the dolphin sort of head on. I feel like there's a way to sort of read the shape that's pleasing, mm-hmm. if not, you know, doesn't offer very much uh, beyond the the pleasure of just imagining that. But one of the things that this the centering of the poem does is, at least for me, the first time I read it, first few times I read this poem, it obscured the quatrains. Yes. This is a very tidy poem. Like it's very orderly. It is. <laughs> right. It would it would it would look much more orderly. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I think if it were justified to the left, I just like I, that shape doesn't seem like it would be the right shape for the poem and the way that the poem yeah. seems to want to move. It just feels correct. And I don't discourage my students from doing <laughs> a lot. But Got what it. I do say to them is it, it it does it work. Right. Right. You can do whatever you want does it work <laughs> and that right. to me and i feel like here the shape is it's just doing Absolutely. so much well it has to feel purposeful which is what you're saying mm-hmm. it has to feel like you know it isn't a a, a click that you made on on a word processing mm-hmm. program and having you know i used to set type once upon a time mm-hmm. letterpress type wow. and let me tell you centering is really hard i mean it <laughs> just is so you know you have to want it and and i feel like you can earn it that way and i mm-hmm. feel like she does in the poem there's a i would call it a kind of i love how you talk about the shapeness and poems of course for me the shape of a poem is the sound of the poem mm-hmm. and so there's a kind of cascading quality mm-hmm. that if and it lets uh, her have, I think, really long lines followed by sometimes one 
word like gratitude mm-hmm. or uh, a short phrase like of salvation mm-hmm. that if it was all left as you were saying it'd be like a really long line that would you'd really notice and mm-hmm. then the short it would feel kind of um more jagged mm-hmm. and there's something more fluid perhaps mm-hmm. about how it works and and you know we already have the breaking up with the sections and then that great phrase i don't know mm-hmm. which i think it, i would say is just as sublime and important to the sublime mm-hmm. uh, there because there's a, something about the mystery mm-hmm. that uh, the poem is really invoking and, and interested in. And then there's this kind of reflection. It is my 63rd summer on mm. earth and, comma, for a moment, mm-hmm. I have almost vanished. And it, that almost is important too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Almost. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much doubt as mystery to me, mm-hmm. those kind of um, qualifications of what she's saying before. But then there's this great ending at top, damply through the blowhole break, at top of head. And it's not their head. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like the speaker's head is coming mm-hmm. off, you know, mm-hmm. in this kind of profound way. Then in our little boat, the dolphin suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. We sailed on. Great little rhyme there. Mm-hmm. Through the brisk, cheerful day. Mm-hmm. You got to sail on, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a moment. <laughs> it's just a moment. Part of what I love about the the lines that you point out, starting with like just that, that last sentence, it is my 63rd summer on earth. She's not too old to wonder. Wonder is available mm-hmm. to Mary Oliver <laughs> and she shows up for it. Like she's present right. for it. Um, I've been on whale watches and dolphin watches with people where Sometimes people are just like really into it. And whenever we see yeah. they're like, yes. And sometimes I'm on a on whale watches and dolphin watches with folks who are like, well, we saw the common dolphin, but are we going <laughs> to see? And, it, you know, they're like, they're it's like, we we saw dolphins like, bro, like, are you present with the wonder and joy of being alive on this earth right now? <laughs> They were like, I Spoken paid. like a poet. You're like, why aren't you writing poems about this right now? They're like, I paid to this see a whale. This should be informing your work, you oh, know? gosh. Absolutely. No. I And so I, I think Mary Oliver sort of models in this moment, you know, yeah. just like that not knowing. It's not right. her job to know. It's her job to, or it's her, her purpose, her duty, her, uh, her privilege to experience. I love that. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that's actually the second to last sentence. Mm, mm-hmm. It is my 63rd. Because then we oh, have to have right. the, the sailing on, mm-hmm, you know. And mm-hmm. so a lesser writer might end with mm, this mm-hmm. top of your head coming off. But instead, that's, as you said, that's one of the longest lines, at top of head. Then in our little boat, the dolphin suddenly gone. I mean, that enjambment, which has been kind of not in the poem exactly. The mm-hmm. poem, though, has this kind of... Uh, washing back and forth, wave-like quality, perhaps. Um, then it stops, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't over um, in a small way. It's over in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. It's changed. The sounds are, are changed. Mm-hmm. And brisk, cheerful day is mm-hmm. such a great phrase that I feel like it. You it forces you to say all the syllables. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like enunciate brisk, cheerful That's right. day. That's right. That's right. I think, too, of, of Mary Oliver's willingness to just say the word. So cheerful. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. who are the poets who are, like, cheerful? I'm going to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's set our our um, task to our, you know, students. Uh, 
our student selves mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get cheerful into a poem. Yeah. I mean, she piles up, like, across the poem all of these adjectives. Sure. Right? Like, and the, they just sort of just come tumbling out, like, over and over across. Like, she begins the poem. Fat, black, slick. <laughs> like, right. Okay. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With, <laughs> with kind of, like, um, description, but also thingness, I mm-hmm. feel like. A solidity mm-hmm. that she's invested in. And texture. And, touch. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And it feels bold, but it's simple. It can be scary, I think, for a lot of us, myself included, to begin, you know, like in in that depth of description that is on the surface, at least, um, it seems like pretty easy, like pretty, right. you know, clear. I don't know. I just love that she does that. Simplicity is hard, as mm-hmm. we all know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and especially describing a thing that is an instant that you're also trying to bring us into the extraordinary. But it's an it's not an ordinary event, but it's a, a an occurrence. You know, mm-hmm. it just happens, mm-hmm. um, though, as you, you say, it's almost like being sought. You know, I think there's something about seeking in the poem and there's something about writing in in mm-hmm. what is found, which is to say, uh, writing kind of can feel like that, like like nothing, and then suddenly something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to be able to capture that feeling in writing, like when, like I, I don't, I, I never met Mary Oliver. Um, I can only imagine Mary Oliver. <laughs> but <laughs> if she's anything like me. If she was anything like me, uh, she would have like stood up from the desk like I did that. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that was her energy. Uh, but I kind of hope that it was. Uh, just to I love like, because I when I read this again, like just like as the reader, I just feel that sort of bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up of feeling the sort of fullness of that experience. And then, as you say, with the in the last sentence, it's like okay, and then, and then we, uh, and then we left. <laughs> The dolphins left and we left and we went on, we went back and forth. Well, the day's lives. changed for yeah. sure. The day is different. Yeah. Like it's cheerful, I feel, mm-hmm. because of what she's seen. And mm-hmm. I want to hear about this desk standing up uh, <laughs> triumphant. And maybe we can talk about that when we talk about your, your own poem. Uh, maybe. Because in our maybe. January 4th, 2022 issue, The New Yorker published your poem, 16 Center, which you'll read for us momentarily. Is there anything we need to know before we hear it? It seems like there are a lot of details in here. It seems pretty self-explanatory in a lot of ways. Great. Here's Danica Kelly reading her poem, 16 Center. 16 Center. Last week, an insurrection. Yesterday, the second impeachment. And this evening of slurry and wind that makes the old dog wary, I call my grandpa, my mama's daddy, to ask why we called his parents' land 16 Center. He doesn't know. And he laughs, can fathom no reason but his daddy's drunk whimsy and charisma and the naming of those 20 acres of Arkansas backwoods, those pastures and good timber a mile down Columbia County Road 14. Nor does he remember how to call a hog. Nor does he remember who first called him Billy, as much as named now as Sam and for nearly as long. We leave what is forgotten behind us easily enough, detour through what rough country he can recall. His uncle Sonny Boy taking him west to live in Vegas. His grandma, Ma Gladys, in L.A., rescuing him from Vegas. 
His baby sister, shot, and him 13, holding her feet at the hospital down in Haynesville as she died. His many jobs, his longest love, an outline, a sketch he's drawn before that I want to fix in my mind. I know my questions rarely resolve past trouble. I talk too fast, too high, am nearly unintelligible to him. Yet we pass an hour this way. He offers some measure of a past we do not share, and it's easier to let be what is lost, to put down what I never carried. That was 16 Center by Danica Kelly. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. I love that poem, and I love the way it is really comfortable with the stories not told. Uh, I think that's hard to write about but you know coming from uh country folk i think Mm -hmm. is often how the stories get passed down they're not straight Mm -hmm. by any means and there's something about that winding quality that i i love Mm -hmm. and i wonder how you viewed it you know this um treble that you call it which is a lovely way to describe i know my questions rarely resolve past treble I mean, there's a kind of hint of trouble there as well. Mm-hmm. How, how, how do you think about that trouble? Well, the first thing that I think about is the gratitude. Uh, so just like bring in that word uh, that Mary Oliver mentioned, uh, the gratitude that I have for having the opportunity to call my grandpa. Mm-hmm. It was it was very snowy. Um, it was my first winter in Iowa writing this. And so it was cold. It was snowy. I was alone. Uh, and I was I was tired of writing poems about winter. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and I was thinking about, like, what reminds me of summer? What reminds me of being warm? Uh, and that's, in a lot of ways, Arkansas, which we, uh, we moved to southern Arkansas when I was 13 from L.A. And uh, when I think of Arkansas, I think about my grandpa. I think about his mom. Uh, my great grandma. And uh, so I, you know, on the, the question of like 16 center. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have had this question several times across my life, but never thought to ask my grandpa. But there I was, you know, in a lonesome snowy evening. And I thought, well, let me just call Billy and see if he can answer this question. And I called him and we just talked like we talked for about an hour and it's one of my favorite things to do is talk to my grandpa uh, and especially to, uh, and especially to talk with him about uh, his life. Mm-hmm. Like just the story, like just those stories uh, and to bring like those small parts, like just to capture them, to record them, to hold them a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been really far away from my family geographically for a very long time. And yeah. Iowa and living in Iowa now really. It seems like we're going to be here for a while. Uh, So I'm like, oh, wait, I actually do just live very far from everyone. I I live far Mm. away from the language that I love, the sounds that I love. Uh, So can I can I bring those with me? And some of that's just talking to people 
was talking to folks in my family and just recording, you know, like the things that they say. And uh, and the artifact is for me first. Like, you know, like I wrote it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but it really like when I read it, I just like hear the conversation with him. Like he always yeah. says. I don't remember how to call a hog. And I, he doesn't need to call a hog, Kevin. He lives in Modesto. You know, like, it's just like he lives in like a ranch house. He doesn't need to call a hog. But he, right. he seems to to mourn that loss in some ways. Sure. So it's it, it feels like a, a bit of a gift to both of us to have that sure. room in our relationship to 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 have those conversations, even if sometimes, you know, again, my voice, this is real. Like he sometimes can't understand what I'm saying. I have to. I have to try and try again on occasion. <laughs> well, but I, I I love that. But and you know the fact that it's a fact doesn't make it any less of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. because it's also talking about what we understand of each other, mm-hmm. much less family. Mm-hmm. And any one of these um, list of mm-hmm. recollections could be a poem. Mm-hmm. You know, his baby sister shot, and him thirteen holding her feet at the hospital down in Haynesville as she died. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a whole mm-hmm. epic story right there. Mm-hmm. And what I think is poignant about it is that's heartbreaking. And then it's like his many jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's me identifying in some way with how those stories are told. But also I think it's with the juxtapositions that this poem works with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, there's that sound too which, you know, I'm not sure on first read maybe passes us by, but it's very thoughtful. His, there's H's and S's, mm-hmm. his baby sister shot and him 13 holding her feet at the hospital ha- down in Haynesville as she died. I mean, it switches from these S's and H's to D, H, D, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm. And they're all there and they're part of this language which is in your voice Mm -hmm. but also you can hear his voice Mm -hmm. and I I think that musicality translates really well and it's subtle you know it's not uh, I think someone else might say and this is how he talks and you know sometimes you do invoke talk Mm -hmm. but I think you're talking about communication in a different way Mm -hmm. like we're a generation apart he and I like my mom is between us you don't know how to call hogs do you I've never called a hog. I was discovering. <laughs> <laughs> you can stop there. Yeah, I was just yeah, teasing. Yeah, it's like so. My my grandpa grew up in Arkansas, and then yeah. as an adult moved to California, and he's lived in California almost his whole adult life. But the the way that he sounds to me is Arkansas. Sure. You know, like the the and I he is one of the best image makers in the family. We can tell. He's so good. Where we can tell. I, there are sometimes other folks in my family are not writers. I would say, like on this side of my family, as far as I know, I'm the only writer. Yeah. But my family is very gifted at image making, at sound. My sister and brother sometimes like make songs that they listen to, they record, they share, they listen to their own. We are very much into our own work as well. <laughs> so I, I, I love that. And so there was a way for a long time where I felt like I was different Mm. from the folks in my family. And the older I got, I was like, oh, no, we all do this. Like we all um, like we all talk a lot. 
We, yeah. we have high talking needs, all of us. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. We have high talking needs. We have needs. high I talking wanna, needs. That is, uh, there's something in that too, right? The <laughs> phrase. Uh, and he definitely gets that from his mom. Like his mama could talk. And there's just, there's sure. comfort in the lineage of that. Like there's like uh-huh. a delight on my end in that sort of being able to trace the family connections and and understand right. how how we are the same or how we are similar. And right. I, I think in that that list, some of that just is the the track of the conversation. It just moves sure. in time, across time and like it moves forwards, it moves backward. Uh, and we're just like just passing a little time together. Like that's right. what it's for. There's two things I want to ask you about. Um, one is the beginning and one is the end. Mm. And maybe with the beginning, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I'm, it feels factual, but also why did, you know, someone else might take out the moment of that prompts the call. Mm. Last week in insurrection, yesterday the second impeachment, and this evening of slurry and wind. I mean, what a great uh, phrase. That makes the old dog wary. I mean that's that's a story right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And compressed. I mean, you know, right? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I love that that is invoked. And but then uh, turning toward the end, he offers some measure of a past we do not share, and it's easier to let be. But there's something in that phrase, right? Mm-hmm. That's saying what is lost, which is different. You know, you, some said let be. You know, that's almost like a southern way of saying like leave it alone or. Mm-hmm. What is lost to put down what I never carried? There's so much movement in there because mm. it isn't just passing time, I think. It's passing on and passing mm-hmm. down and this past we do not share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, I, I think I do want to say something about the beginning because I do think it's related yeah. to what happens at the end. Um, one of the ways that I think about poems and I and I think about my own work is – that an individual poem functions as a kind of artifact of a moment in time. Uh, so that when I read this one, when I come back to it, I remember where I was and how I felt. So like in some like that tag is for me. <laughs> like, oh, mm. this is this is the win. Uh, mm-hmm. but there was also something strange during that time to be in this like huge moment in American history. Right. An insurrection and an impeachment happening very closely together and being like, I need to ask my grandpa (laughs) where they got the name 16 Center. Like that also felt important and that there's something about living a life inside of those big moments, like representing like a life lived inside of those huge moments in American history. It's helpful to me to just remember like, oh, yeah, like life happens in that um, and this is a very small, like it's a, it's a recurring thing that happens with my grandpa. We talk uh, pretty often. So there was something about that that I wanted to mark. Right. Um, so to, to tie like this moment to history, right, to tie it to a specific point of time that like I live through, which might be a part of the story that I tell if my nieces, if my niece and nephews decide they want to talk to me on the phone when I'm in my late seventies, <laughs> or whatever oh, it is right. we're, we're doing in the late, you know, when I'm in my late seventies, there, there is this this past that like they wouldn't necessarily have shared, right? So I, I, I'm just thinking about sort of the layering of time here. Sure. 
But the other thing that's under this is that my mom like lost her memory. Mm. And so, uh, I mean, like she remembers some things, but her memory is really fractured. And so he is like one of the nearer relatives that I have where we can talk about things that happened in the past and he can say he doesn't remember and it doesn't create anxiety in me. So like with my mom, when she doesn't remember our shared past, like that creates anxiety. But with my grandpa, I'm like, well, you know, Billy's old. (laughs) And he's really named Sam. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really named Sam. He did not let us call him grandpa. Uh, because when I was, when I was born, he was 40 maybe. So he was like, I'm not a grandpa. And then he got into his sixties and he, we could then call him grandpa. But so for almost my entire life, he wanted us to call him Billy or Mr. Billy. Sure. I would say you, you remind us that this history is just as important as the history that opens the poem. And that there's many histories, I think, coursing through. I mean, you tell some of his history. Mm-hmm. And I love the rough country. I think that's a great metaphor for maybe the, the country itself, but also for the memory. You know, mm-hmm. it isn't always a smooth, uh, placid experience of life, but mm-hmm. also of memory. And, and these are two slightly different things. That idea, too, of you're remembering mm-hmm. an outline a sketch he's drawn before that I want to fix in my mind I know break my questions rarely resolve past treble there's a, there's a lot there mm-hmm. to me in what you just said about how we draw from things how we make things fixed how things change but also you know to me there's a reverse great migration story mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. telling about mm-hmm. you know him being there in LA you know mm-hmm. where my family the family who left Louisiana they moved to LA mm-hmm. and then many of them have moved back you know yeah. and you're saying you moved back mm-hmm. you know so there's all these sort of bigger histories capital uh, letter histories mm-hmm. that we now talk about perhaps a bit more that we all lived yeah. and I think that's really beautiful Oh, um, thank you. Th- the last question I would ask you really is about this idea of putting down. Mm. Um, it occurred to me hearing it again, uh, it's easier to let be what is lost, to put down what mm. I never carried. There's two meanings of putting down. There's m- more. But I think of putting something down as in setting it down. Mm-hmm. And then there's also setting it down in print, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder about... Uh, the tension there and, and how much you were thinking of it, how much it resonates for you, and um, yeah, how do you approach that? I was thinking of it in the first in the first sense. I like at no point was I thinking of it in that second sense that you that you articulate of like you know writing it down. Um, yeah, and but yet like that is the thing that like I can do in my family. Right. I feel like it's like one of the few things uh, that is available to me uh, in my toolbox for the family. I'm not going to push him into details that he doesn't know or he right. can't recall. I'm not trying to tr- stress my grandpa out. Um, but at the same time, right, like I'm also trying to I'm trying to hold on to it. Like I'm trying to hold on. It feels important to hold on to these stories. Like he's he's quite old now. <laughs> he was old when I talked to him um, at this point, like the the moment that's recorded in this poem but he's older now and I think how much longer how much more time do I have with my grandpa like how much how many more times do I have to call him and and pass a little time you know 
Uh, and this feels like a warm memory, uh, which is really different from a lot of the, the work, a lot of my work that's been published, like where a, a lot of what I'm talking about and what I've been writing about has been very, um, has been challenging, um, has been sad. And it feels good to have some good memories. <laughs> it feels right. It feels nice to, to be able to put that down, too. Right. You know, and even if we don't know the why mm-hmm. uh, of the naming, there's laughter. Mm hmm. There's there as you you call it, drunk whimsy, and charisma in the mm-hmm. naming, you know, and and I think of that naming as very much part of the process of poetry, mm-hmm. you know, and especially thinking about generations of being unnamed or renamed mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, nicknamed, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. that rough country as you call it. Because there's an acceptance somehow in all of this mm-hmm. that I think is really uh, beautiful. Oh, thank you. I know that some of these will be in your next book, mm-hmm. um, some of those recent poems. And are you talking about memory in that book? And, and tell us a little bit about it. So I have a book coming out next year um, with Grey Wolf. Uh, the title is The Natural Order of Things. The poems were written between 2016 in 2023, as near as I can tell, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty recent. Yeah, <laughs> just a few. The book opens with a series of poems that are about my family, uh, and mostly about the family that I like and the things that I like about my family. So there are poems that really are just recording and recounting and layering the language uh, of my family. Uh, there are poems about my great grandma, so my grandpa's mom. Uh, just like remembering being with, and the the power of poetry to to pull that memory forward, which is, which also pulls her forward, which also pulls my family closer to me in ways that feel good and safe. And then there are love poems. There are poems responding to uh, to art. Uh, there are poems where I'm thinking about like how to be alone and not devastated, uh, which I. I think I might have figured out how to do most of the time now. But I, I open the book with my folks, with my people, because I do think that's part of the natural order. Like that's it's a big part of where I come from. And that feels a lot clearer to me the longer I've been away and the farther away I am. And so those poems come out of that. Well, I look forward to reading it. Oh. And I know our listeners do too. Thank you so much for talking with us today. That was a pleasure, Kevin. Del- a delight. <laughs> Gratitude is what, right. uh, the word. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Sixteen yeah. Center by Danica Kelly, as well as Mary Oliver's One Hundred White-Sided Dolphins on a Summer Day, can be found on NewYorker.com. Mary Oliver's last book was Devotions, Selected Poems. Danica Kelly's most recent collection is The Renunciations. You may subscribe to this podcast, The Fiction Podcast, The Writer's Voice Podcast, and The Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and The New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner by Christian Scott Atunde Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Ropadope. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Michelle Moses with help from Hannah Eisenman.
Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts.